This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that you may help us to understand these difficult words of Habakkuk. Uh, that truly you will help us to take heed of the lessons that God was instructing His people all those thousands of years ago. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now the other day I was going through an old address book of all the people that I used to follow up. And I was sort of looking at them and I was thinking, you know, some of them have gone on in Christ, settled down in good churches, you know, gone on in Christ and be strong in Christ in their faith. But there are also some people that I remember who uh, very sadly have uh, fallen away from uh, Jesus Christ. And I remember some of the conversations that I had with them. So someone might say, Oh, I wasn't promoted at my work. I lost my job. God didn't meet my expectations in my career. And uh, it's not fair. uh, I can look forward to heaven. But, uh, but that's in the future. I've got to worry about my finances now. It's not fair. Some other people would say, Oh, I see all my friends and they're all having boyfriends and girlfriends. They're getting married. But, you know, as a Christian, I don't see many other Christians who I'm really interested in. And so they tell me it's not fair. And over time, they go out for non-Christian and then they get married and then they drop out of church and uh, they're, not, they're not in Christ anymore. And so there are these people who I remember who were quite disillusioned and disappointed with God in various ways. And as we come to the book of Habakkuk, actually Habakkuk, as we saw last week, was a man who was also disappointed and profoundly disillusioned with God. He felt really let down by God. Because we learned that Habakkuk, if you look at the picture, there's a slide, right? was a prophet to the southern kingdom in Judah. And he was a good prophet. Right? He was a good prophet. He was a faithful man. He was faithfully proclaiming the truth of God. But, but he looked around God's people. What did he see? He saw violence, injustice, wickedness, wrong. And more than that, he saw the evil people prospering and they were hemming in the righteous people of God. So last week, Habakkuk cried out to God with two questions. Two questions. The two questions were, How long? How long? And why? How long, God, will you not listen to my cry for help? How long will you not save us? And the second question is, Why? Why do you make me see all this injustice in God's land, where, you know, the temple is there, the law is there, but yet, I look around, and there's violence, wickedness, and there is evil. Now today, as we come to this passage, actually, God had answered Habakkuk's uh, question. But it wasn't the answer that Habakkuk was looking for. In fact, it wasn't the answer that God's people were looking for, because God said, that he would solve this problem of injustice and wickedness in Judah. And what would he do? He would bring uh, Babylon. Is that, did I just put another map? I didn't put another map. I'm not sure. Oh, did I? Oh, yes, I did. He would, he would get the people of Babylon, right? So these are just visual effects to catch your attention, right? And come and conquer. 
Where's the explosion? Uh? Ah, okay. <laughs> Come and conquer, right? Come and conquer the, 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 the country of Judah. Now, this is profoundly disturbing for a person like Habakkuk. It's profound, profoundly disturbing for God's people. And that's why in chapter 1, verse 12, which we read just a moment ago, Habakkuk replies to God and says in verse 12, Lord, right, you have to look at your passage here, right? Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you to- tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls them all up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net. He burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Now what Habakkuk says is that he looks at the character of God. He prays to God and he says, God, you are like, Everlasting, you will not die. But more than that, you are, it says there, verse 12, you are the Holy One. Holy One. Too pure to look on even, you cannot tolerate wrong. And more than that, it says that you are my rock. Right? You, are, you are like the, the stability, you are like unchanging, you are, there's a fixedness about you. Therefore, if you are everlasting, if you are holy and you are unchanging and fixed, how then can you then justify using the Babylonians to come and punish God's people? It just doesn't make sense, right? Because it says there, it says, how can you let uh, the, the treacherous or those who are more wicked to punish those who are the righteous, right? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? It says in verse 13. So it's a bit like, imagine, if you are like uh, the Pope in the Catholic Church in, uh, in Italy, right? And you have some problem with the, some of your priests or some of your parish members. And you decide to use the mafia to fix the problem, right? Or maybe, you know, like you're a leader of a church in Singapore, and you have some problem with uh, some church members, then you know you get the triads to come and fix the problem. Okay? But these are Hong Kong triads, so this is different, right? Or like you're the pastor of a church in the Middle East, and you know you get the ISIS terrorists to come and fix your problem in the church. And that's the question that Habakkuk has. How can you get the more wicked to judge the righteous? How can you tolerate the, the, the treacherous and the wicked you know, punishing those who are more righteous than themselves. In fact, the picture he uses here is the picture that he used previously because he says that why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? So you remember last week we saw 
that actually God had described the Babylonians in terms of animals. Right? Because the character of the Babylonians was like the leopard, right? which, 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 which will, will always catch its prey. Or the Babylonians were like the wolves. Right? They were ravenous. You know, like, have you ever seen wolves tear their prey? Right? They were without mercy. Or they were like a bird of prey, like an eagle, which swoops in and destroys without warning its prey. So here it says that God is allowing His people to be swallowed up right, by the Babylonians. He actually goes on and, and, and says, you know, like the, the, the God's people are like fish. You know, like, they're like fish. And, uh, and the Babylonians are like those which come with hooks and catch them all, or you know, come with a big net and catch them, or a drag net. And they, they take away all of God's people. And out of their conquest, what makes it worse is the Babylonians will live in luxury and enjoy luxurious food. But on top of that, in verse 16, Habakkuk complains and he says, Look, not only do they like, eat up God's people and swallow them up and, and catch them in a net. These people, in verse 16, they don't even recognize God. They sacrifice to their nets and they burn incense to their dragnet. So as we learned last week, they are like a law unto themselves. The only thing that they worship is their own strength. right? So in chapter 1, verse 11, guilty men whose own strength is their God. So the question that Habakkuk places before God is, how can you let this happen? How can you let this happen? Now, chapter 2 then is God's answer to Habakkuk. Now, it's quite interesting because God's answer is not some sort of a philosophical argument explaining the greater good or some sort of explanation of the global perspective. Or like, you know, he didn't say, hey, you know, Habs, this is how you need to understand things, right? But... What God does is He actually presents a picture of the future. A picture of the future. So verse 2, He says to Habakkuk, He said, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run of it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not Delay. So the first thing that uh, God answers Habakkuk is to say, God is in control. Write these things down for future generations. Because what is going to happen is within God's control, even though it is so unpleasant and so unbelievable for God's people. You see, for you and I, right, uh, when we say to somebody, I will do such and such a thing, it's actually contingent and dependent on a lot of things. You know, I mean, the MRT might break down, I might fall down, I might get sick, I might forget, I might get delayed. But not so with God. God says the future is like the past for Him. 
So write down these things. And in fact, it says here, write it down on tablets or on stone. Not, he doesn't say write it down on a piece of paper which, you know, or a papyrus which will disappear. Write it down on a tablet, you know, because the tablet is something permanent. And he says, look, don't, though it may linger, wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. It will come at the appointed time. So the first thing that uh, God assures Habakkuk is these things are not happening because of human will but of God's design. God is in control of the future. So even though the, the Babylonians may come, even though they may conquer the city, even though people will die, people will uh, suffer great indignities, maybe women may be raped, Right? These things are not because God is out of control, it's because God is in control and He's brought the Babylonians to judge them. But verse 4 to verse 5 then actually explain what's going to happen in the future and how the righteous person must live. See, the enemy is puffed up and his desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness or by his faith, right? Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. Because he is greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the people. Now here, it's almost like, a, you know that the evangel- evangelistic track, two ways to live, right? So here God gives the two ways to live track to Habakkuk. On one hand, he says like the Babylonians are puffed up. They're puffed up like a peacock, right? They're proud, they're self-sufficient. They're always greedy. They're they are full of drunkenness, full of desire for more and pride and self-status and self-reliance. And therefore, as we will read coming up, God will judge the Babylonians. And that will be the only answer that really God gives to Habakkuk. He doesn't say, oh, I've changed my mind. I've decided not to use the Babylonians anymore. You know, you were right, Habakkuk. You know, I I, I misunderstood what I was going to do. I misspoke. No, he doesn't, right? He describes the Babylonians as they truly are. But look at what he says that Habakkuk and the people in the future reading this must do in verse 4. C. But the righteous person will live by his faith. Actually, I, I prefer the uh, older version because it's, it's very straightforward. It just says, the righteous person will live by faith. Okay, the righteous person will live by faith. Now, we're going to spend a bit of time looking at this one verse because actually it's, you know, you kind of read Habakkuk and you think it was just a minor prophet somewhere in the history of Judah talking some random uh, you know, things which he was unhappy about. But actually, this verse, but the righteous will live by faith, is actually used two times in two very, very important books in the New Testament, which is the book of Hebrews and the book of Romans. Right? And by reading the New Testament, we understand a bit more about what God is really saying the righteous person needs to live. So in, in, Habak- in Hebrews, the next slide, Chapter 10, right? 
The writer of Hebrews says, do not, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a very little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. But if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who believe and are saved. Now, the, the circumstances and the context and the background of Habakkuk is actually quite similar to the circumstances and the background of the people in the book of Hebrews. Both people were facing difficulties. The people of Hebrews were facing persecution. And the people of Habakkuk were going to face hard times of persecution by the Babylonians. And both those people would have a temptation to go back, to shrink back from their faith in God. But as we see here in the book of Hebrews, don't throw away your confidence, persevere, don't shrink back. Because, it says there, as we see in the book of Hebrews, God is not pleased with those who shrink back. And those who shrink back are destroyed, but those who have faith and believe will be saved. So what God is saying in the book of Habakkuk and God is saying in the book of Hebrews is, even as they live through these hard times, write it down what's going to happen in the future because God is in control. Keep trusting in God. And that's why the word here, faith, really has the idea of two ideas, right? Steadfastness and trust. It's like a pastor once said, you know, as a Christian, you, you, you have to have a backbone of steel, right? Don't be a jellyfish. Because, you know, a jellyfish is kind of squishy and squashy, right? It's kind of like, you know, like it, it, when the pressure comes, it will, it will fall, right? But actually, being a Christian is a very hard thing because as a Christian, when you face difficult times, when you face hard times, when, when you feel it's not fair, God says, don't shrink back. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by steadfast trust in God in spite of the circumstances that they face. But the interesting thing is, the words here, right, the righteous will live by faith. Uh, can actually mean something else, right, actually. Because when you say live by faith, it can mean I live day by day, right, you know. Some people live to eat, right. Uh, so they're living every day to eat, right. But the idea of the righteous will live by faith also has the idea of they will gain eternal life by faith, right. You know what I'm saying? So one live by faith is, is day by day living. Another live by faith is I will gain eternal life. And that's what Hebrews is saying, right? Because for those who live by faith, they will be saved. Right? They will be saved. So in the same way, as we look at the book of Habakkuk, as we look at the book of Hebrews, as we live by faith, we also gain eternal life by that faith. That's why... In the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 17, right? it says that, oh sorry, chapter 1, verse 16, it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation 
of everyone who believes. See that salvation is an eternal life salvation, right? First for the Jew, and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So what we see here is that actually this idea of the contrast between two ways to live, well, you can choose to be puffed up, live self-reliant lives, live independent lives, or you can live by faith. Do you choose to live the Babylonian way, or do you choose to live God's way? And I think that's a very important question for us as we live as Christians, because we will always feel at some point in time that life as a Christian is tough. And we will feel that there are times where God is not fair to me. I'm suffering more than the Babylonians of this world. But God says the righteous will live by faith. So, many years ago, I met this uh, pastor by the name of Frank Retief. He's a pastor of a church in uh, South Africa. He was preaching in the middle of a service one day, and when gunmen burst into his church and threw grenades and started shooting at his congregation. So here's a, oh, this is a newspaper, the previous one. Yeah, so it's a real incident in, in, in this church called St. James in South Africa. And the killers uh, were never caught. Right? But the following week, he was telling us that uh, they cleaned the church up and they repaired the church, and people came back. For the services, they came back for Bible study, they came back for their choir practice. Because as, as Christians, we recognize that we live by faith. We trust in God and we keep going on as Christians. We do not shrink back from being Christians, even though we face suffering and difficulty in this life. Now God gives His answer in verse 6 to 20 and says, Look, I'm not going to change my mind about the Babylonians, but the Babylonians will also face judgment and wrath and condemnation. Now, as we look here in chapter uh, 2, verse 6 to 20, you actually see, uh, as I'm reading it, that there are five woes. Okay, five woes. So, you can, I don't know whether you have, you know, if you have, uh, you're reading your, Handphones, you can highlight it or you can circle it in your Bibles. But there are five woes, right? And each woe corresponds to the sin or the wrong of the Babylonians. So, okay, let's, let's have a look. Huh? So, will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will not they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone within them. So, God says, because you plunder other people, you're a plunderer, right? You, 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 you have unjust gain, you exploit other people. One day, other people will come and plunder you, and you will be the one who is plundered. 
The second woe is in verse 9. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many people, shaming your own house and forfeiting your own life. The stones of the wall will cry out, the beams of the woodwork will echo it. So here it's like, they are the ones who plot, right? And they, and they build their house and they think they're very secure. Right, they think that their house is like the nest. You know, the, the nest is very high up on the branches. It's, 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 you know, it's a safe. Lah. But then God says, no, right? Because you plotted the ruin of many people, you yourself, your life itself will be forfeit. You're not safe up on your high perch. Right? You will also be, you will also come to ruin. Then in verse 12, Woe to him who builds a city out of bloodshed and establishes a, sa- a town by injustice, has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, and that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the, glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So here is a picture of Babylon working hard, right? Working and laboring to be bigger, stronger, and they do it injustice, with injustice. But God says you are just fuel, right? You 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 will you'll be burnt up as you go along in your in your labor trying to gain glory with your unjust and unjust uh, corruption. In verse fifteen, the, the how many wars are you up to now? Fourth war, I think, right? Is it fourth war? Yep. Woe to him who dr- gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wine skin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of animals will terrify you, for you have shed human blood, and you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. So here... Babylon is seen to be this great corrupter, right? She corrupts other people with her drunkenness and exploitation. And God says uh, that because of it, He will give her a cup. But the cup will not be filled with wine. It's a cup of wrath, right? Cup of judgment, cup of condemnation. And then the last woe, right? Uh, Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies for the one who makes it trust in his own creation, who makes idols that cannot speak? Woe to him who says to wood, Come to life, or lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So he's saying that because they trust in these idols, actually there's no guidance or wisdom that comes from them. They are just, the, the only God is in His temple. Right? And we must go to God with reverence and silence. Now this is very interesting, right? because if you remember, God tells Habakkuk, write all these things down, right? write it on tablets. So these things are actually haven't happened yet. Right? So, what uh, verse 6 to 20 is like a taunt song. Uh, so, anybody know what a taunt song is? Okay, so you, if you watch an uh, English football league, right, the taunt song would be something like this, right? It's like, uh, 
you know, when, when Manchester United are, are, are losing, right, the, the opposition team uh, sings to the, their coach, Jose Mourinho, right, you're getting sacked in the morning, you're getting sacked in the morning, right? You're getting sacked in the morning, or let's say they're playing against a relegation team, uh, you know, and it's near the end of the season, they'll say like, okay, you're going down, you're going down to the next, to the next level, because you know, if you're relegated, you're, you're going down to the next, uh, not the Premier League anymore, right? You're going down to the, don't know, the Championship League, right? But the thing is, usually when you have a taunt song, uh, you only taunt your opposition when you're winning, right? I mean, like, you, you can't taunt, taunt them when it's like nil-nil and the game hasn't started yet. You can only taunt people when like you're four-nil up and it's like ten minutes left to go, isn't it? But God is taunting the Babylonians and they haven't even risen to power. They haven't even conquered Judah yet. And this shows us that actually God's control of the future is so certain that He can taunt people even though they haven't even done all the things that he's accused them of doing. Now, when we look back at history, we see that what God says came to pass, right? So if you look at this map up here, look, look at the map. Uh, see how's the map, the first map? So the Babylonian Empire, between 612 to 538 BC, was a huge, huge uh, landmass, right? And you can see Judah, where Jerusalem is, was completely conquered by Jerusalem. Uh, by uh, Babylon, right? But, but the fall of Babylon was just as predicted as God predicted it in Habakkuk chapter 2. Because by the next slide, by 500 BC, what happened to the Babylonian Empire? It was all gone. The, right, you can see that the, the Persians came and basically wiped out the Babylonians and all the things that God said in Habakkuk chapter 2, took place, right? It's like, you know, they were destroyed, they were plundered, they were pillaged. Their, their gods did them no, no good at all. And I think that as we look at this picture, this is the answer that God gives to Habakkuk. Although the Babylonians are wicked, he will not close an eye to the wickedness of the Babylonians. They will be judged for their sin. God is a holy God. God is a righteous God. Even though he uses Babylon to judge God's people, the Babylonians themselves are not free from judgment. Now this is a very important lesson for us because you might ask yourself, hey yeah, this happened in 500 BC, we're now 2018, right? This is like 2,500 years ago. Why am I bothering to read this? Right? What, what good is it? What, what is it teaching me? Well, the thing is actually in the Bible, it says that Babylon is well and alive today. But, 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 but where is Babylon? Right? I, mean, I mean, it's like, where is Babylon? There's no country called Babylon today. Right? But Babylon is like the model of human pride and rebellion against God, right? So actually, if you look at the book of Revelation, it keeps using Babylon. So you think of the book of Revelation, right? The book of Revelation was written 500 years after Babylon fell, right? But yet, Babylon is like the byword of pride, of rebellion, of 
uh, human self-reliance and idolatry against God. And God says that in the world that we live in, there will, there will be Babylons in every age, in every time. Because there will always be this force of human pride, human exploitation, uh, the desire to make people drunk, to engage in sexual immorality, uh, to swallow up other people of injustice and corruption and exploitation. Right? And what does God say? Well, God says in Revelation chapter 16, Then the angel carried me away into the desert, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adultery. This title was written on her forehead. Mystery Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and of all the the abominations of the earth. Now when you when you think of the description of Revelation chapter 16, you can see it echoing what we read in Habakkuk. Right? Because as we look in the book of Habakkuk, that's what Babylon represented, right? It was like getting, you know, in, you know, intoxicating the world with drunkenness so that there would be sexual morality. Uh, the, 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 the rise of uh, you know, exploitation and unjust gain uh, where the most important thing for Babylon was luxury and uh, didn't care whether people were treated with fairness or compassion. Uh, how Babylon was like animals, right, which was ravenous and, and sought only to, like, uh, to you know, tear up its prey. Well, in many senses, that's, in, that's the world that we live in, right? I mean, if you, if you look at many countries, if you look at many people, you look at societies, that's the way that, that the nature of the world that we live in. But Revelation chapter 18, next slide, God says in the future this is what will happen. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit. A haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her. The merchants of the earth grew rich with her excessive luxuries. And then uh, I guess uh, the next slide. Okay, then, woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power. In one hour your doom has come. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. Now, I think that as we study the book of Habakkuk, we understand a bit more of what the book of Revelation is saying. Because just as Babylon was destroyed in 500 BC by God, right? and, and so completely because of her sins. So in the same way in the future, God will destroy the Babylons of today. Right? The, the cities, the people, the powers, which are the same as the, the people of Babylon, the same ethos, the same spirit of Babylon. So for ourselves, we are those who live in this age, and we are not to be taken in or attracted by the Babylonian spirit of today's age. But we are to be those who live by faith, the righteous who live by faith. And we wait for the time where God will judge the Babylon of this age. So in conclusion, uh, many, many years ago, I think for school, right, 
I read this really boring book. And there's a play that I have to watch, right? It's called Waiting for Godot. Have you heard of this play? Have you read this book? It's quite boring, but it's quite, uh, you know... Nick Chai is not here. Okay, anyway. Uh, but you know, it's one of those philosophy things, right? Where you know you have to think about very deep questions. Right? So basically, it's about waiting for someone called Godot, right? So obviously, who can Godot be but, but God, right? So the whole play is about how there's these two people and they're waiting for this person called Godot who never comes. Right? Like, and they're just talking. It's all, it's, basically, it's very boring because there are only just two people talking right, all the time, right? And nothing much really happens, right? So it's, it's a very boring wait, right? But, but this passage actually says that uh, God is not Godot, right? Uh, God actually came into the picture. The Babylonians were defeated. What was written in the tablet came true. And I think for ourselves, we have to learn that lesson too, that God may not seem to be fair, and he may seem to be lingering, but we are told to wait. Right? We're told to wait, and we're told to keep living by faith, steadfast trust. Doesn't matter what happens in your life, doesn't matter if you suffer, doesn't matter how hard things get, but you must continue to live by faith. Right? So, how bad would things have got in the destruction of Jerusalem? By Babylon. So I was thinking, you know, in, in recent times, right, there have been some very bad uh, destructions before. Right? So the next slide, the next one. So like, you know, when the, in, 19, in the, the, the World War II, when the Germans destroyed Stalingrad, or like in the World War II, when the Japanese uh, destroyed Nanking, right? So imagine you live through this destruction of your city. It would be pretty hard for you to keep trusting God, right? But then... God already had said beforehand that destruction will come. And God says, it doesn't matter how terrible times get. You still have to live by steadfast trust and faith. And as we've seen in today's passage, God's word came true. And God is trustworthy. So, whatever struggles that we face today, keep trusting in God, keep living by faith. Because at the end of the day, the Babylon of today will be destroyed. And if we are those who do not shrink back, we will be saved. We will live eternally by faith. Right? Okay, so let's uh, close our time together in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that you may help us to live by faith, to live by steadfast trust. We empathize with Habakkuk's frustration that things were not fair, that there was wickedness and evil in this world, and even the Babylonians were the ones enlisted by God to judge his people. But God said, write down these things on tablets of stone, so that future generations would continue to trust in God, because the Babylonian rule would come to an end, and where the Babylonians themselves would be destroyed. So teach us too to trust with steadfast faith, to know that the Babylons of this day also will be destroyed. And if we do not shrink back, we will be saved in Christ. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, 
visit us online at busypc.sg.